Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. How you doing? Awesome, man. Um, I'm so excited today to get to start um, a new teaching series um, here at Brave from the letter of Titus. Um, But for those of you who have been checking us out, visiting the last few weeks, we do have a senior pastor. His name is Darren Laws. He's my dad, and he just did the baby dedication. So that was him up here. Um, He has been away ministering at some other churches, as well as getting his first big break since we planted the church. And so I know he keeps sneaking back up here, but we're really glad he's getting a break. Um, And so that's where he's been. But we've had some incredible guest speakers coming through these last few weeks. Who's been here and enjoyed those guest speakers? Man, they've been remarkable. Um, And so today, I'm really uh, pumped to start a new series through the letter of Titus. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of background and also just why we teach through books of the Bible. It's one of the primary ways that we teach here at Brave. Um, and that's because that we've just noticed that when we're more topic-driven in our teaching, we tend to gravitate towards our favorite topics. Um, but there's so much in the Bible that God wants to say to us. And so when we teach through Scripture, um, it allows truth to confront us and it gives us an opportunity to explore some things that we otherwise might not get to. And we just think that's a really healthy, well-rounded approach. Um, there's a famous quote by Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the late 1800s. And he said this, defend the Bible. I would as soon defend a lion. Unchain it, and it will defend itself. So we believe that the Bible is God's word, that it's powerful, That when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see, opens our ears to hear, that when we're receptive, that the Bible has a powerful impact on our lives. And it's a greater impact uh, than preaching from our opinions. We want to lean on truth. We want to lean on scripture. Um, So with that, as we move into Titus, um, you can turn there if you want to, Titus chapter 1. It's a small book. You might need to search it on your phone or use your glossary, but um, Titus is a really cool book. Little disclaimer, I've never taught on Titus before, and I've never heard a sermon on Titus. In fact, how many of you have heard a, a teaching through Titus? Like, almost nobody, like a few. Okay, so you can help me out. Uh, but Titus, it, it's an uncommon book to be, to be looked at. This is a little bit of uncharted territory, and I'm not sure why. It's a fascinating book. In fact, let me give you a little bit of background before we jump into it. Um, first, the first chapter is about leadership in the church. The second chapter is about living by grace, and the third chapter is about doing good. And so some background, Titus was a Gentile convert. That means he wasn't Jewish. And he had served and traveled alongside the Apostle Paul. Um, In approximately 63 to 64 AD, sometime after they left Timothy in Ephesus, we studied Ephesus earlier this year, um, the book of Ephesians, um, Paul and Titus traveled on to Crete. And so we've got a map here that you can check out. These dots symbolize all the different towns and, and small cities that were covering the island. And the island was approximately 156 miles long, ranging from 8 to 35 miles wide. And it had a number of towns scattered throughout it. So there's all these cities and towns. And the gospel's been preached. And people are coming to know Jesus. And so the church is being established in all of these little places where you see these dots. And the purpose of this letter was to instruct Titus on what to teach on 
and how as a good leader to establish the church on this island. Um, And tradition has it that Titus at one point left to go somewhere else, but then he returned there and served out the rest of his life. Um, So Titus was establishing churches in all of these towns, and this letter introduces him on, um, gives him some, some context of how to be a good leader and how to appoint good leaders. So if you have a Bible, you can go there, and I'm going to invite my friend Jared to come up, and he's going to read our passage. Uh, Jared, I've been getting to know Jared this last semester. He joined our home church, and my wife and I have been enjoying getting to know him. He commutes to the city for work, and he loves Jesus, and he's single. So... <laughs> So, ladies, you can do with that what you'd like. Thanks, man. But Jared's going to read our passage today. All right, guys. So, um, Titus chapter 1. It's a whole chapter, so be ready. So, um, <laughs> Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, in which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted in me by the command of God, our Savior. To to Titus, my true son in common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father, in Christ Jesus, our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the change of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And, that for, and for that sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths um, or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But for those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Thanks. Would you guys join me? Let's bow our heads and pray before we continue. God, I just thank you for everyone here. This is a beautiful day that you've made for us. And God, I pray that as we gather together around your word, that we would hear from you. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would show us things that would be um, helpful and applicable to our lives. I pray that uh, you would bring um, correction in our thinking where necessary. I pray that you would bring encouragement where we're discouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have you ever had a job that you just loved? Okay, you loved your work, you loved going to work. That's the best when you love your job. Uh, My friend Joe was telling me about a job that he had that was the worst. Okay, he's a writer, and he was working for this company that was kind of like a BuzzFeed. And every day, he's coming in, and they're telling him, hey, write more viral posts. And he's like, you can't just do that. Like, 
it doesn't just happen that way, okay? Things go viral. There's a bit of, of luck involved. Even the most strategic writers and, and bloggers know this, okay? But studies have shown that there's a direct correlation between being happy with your work and happy with your life. So have you ever uh, wondered why some workplaces are awesome and some of them you just can't wait to get out of? Okay, maybe your coworkers were rude. Maybe people gossiped about you. Maybe you felt discriminated against. Maybe people were jealous. Maybe there was unfair compensation. Or you were just losing, like your company was losing money, losing talent, losing to competitors. There are so many things that can make a job a place that you don't want to be. But what I find so interesting is no matter what the reasons, all of them point towards one thing, and that is leadership. Now, we're all leaders. We all have influence. If you have a social media account, you have influence, okay? You have influence. I have influence. We're all leading, whether we like it or not, because everybody has influence. But there is a cap to our influence. And for many of us, there's a tension created by people in positions of power that have influence above us to make decisions that affect us, whether we like it or not. This could be at work, it could be on a committee, a club, a team, government, even with our own parents. And because of our various experiences with leadership, some of us may not be as trusting with people in positions of power. We may have lost faith, we may have been hurt, we may be a little discouraged uh, uh, based on our past experiences, but regardless of how we feel about leadership, leaders continue to lead and they continue to impact our lives, even in the church. In fact, I just want to take a moment before we go further into this, if you're here today and you've been hurt by a leader in the church, on behalf of Jesus, on behalf of God, on behalf of the church in, at large, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what you went through. Maybe, you were, maybe your hurt was um, spiritual abuse. Maybe it was physical abuse, sexual abuse. Whatever form of abuse or hurt that took place in your life, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. It wasn't OK. It wasn't right. Uh, but that said, I also hope that you don't give up on the church that you don't give up on its leaders, because the church is really important. God says that it's through the church that he plans to accomplish his eternal purposes, things that will matter forever. So we don't want to give up on the church. We want to find healing from those past experiences. We want to stay in the game. And the Bible has a lot to say about leadership. This letter, as I mentioned, was written to Titus, a church leader, to help him establish churches that would have healthy leaders, people that wouldn't hurt people. They won't be perfect, but people that are healthy and can be responsible to help grow the church. So here we go today, whether you're new to faith, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, or you're still checking things out, today what we're going to look at is the answers to three questions that we find in this text that give us a better understanding of how God is redeeming the world through the church, okay? Three questions. The first is, why does the church need leaders? The second is, who are they leading? And the third is, who is leading you? So number one, why does the church need leaders? In fact, real quick before, I forgot to say this, if you need notes, raise your hand. You're going to want notes today. And we have ushers that are flanking you on the sides. They're like all over it. It won't take long. Awesome. So they'll get notes to you. But number one, why does the church need leaders? 
In verse 5, it says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint leaders and elders in every town as I directed you. The church needs leaders to bring order to chaos and finish what is unfinished. So here we see two parts to why the church needs leaders. The first, to put in order, and the second, what was left unfinished. Let's begin with put in order. Okay, there's a little ambiguity there because it implies that there's the existence of something that needs correction. It implies that, that the state of the church in Crete, after Paul left it, was still disorganized. It needed to be brought um, into order with responsible leaders that would be appointed. Have you ever been in a church that seemed great? You loved it. Maybe you loved the teaching or you loved the music, but there were parts of it that seemed a little disorganized. Or maybe you've been at a church that had some unfinished projects. If you haven't, welcome to Brave, okay? There is all kinds of stuff that we're still getting organized, we're still working on. There's so many unfinished projects because we're a startup church. And one thing that's interesting about Brave is that we don't look like a startup church, Because we have a miraculous story of being given a building, and God has a great plan of what he's going to do through this property. But that doesn't give the impression of a church that's like three and a half years old, right? And so there are all kinds of things that are still being developed. Um, You can learn more about that, by the way, in the growth track. That's one of the reasons that we started the growth track. It happens every month. And in the first growth track, you get to hear the story of how Brave began. Um, but But what's the solution? to this disorder. What is Paul saying? He's saying that the solution is leadership. More people stepping up, joining Team Brave, and getting behind the mission of the church, and it brings order to chaos. Imagine the kind of church that you want to be a part of. Have you ever asked yourself that question? What would be the like, most amazing kind of church I could be a part of? And then ask yourself, what would you be willing to do to help build that? What would it require of you to be a part of that kind of church? I think it's really important for us to recognize that this is how God's word says that he builds the church through leaders. This is how God plans to build his church. Um, In scripture, the church is referred to as a body, and I think that's a great metaphor, the human body. If you think about it, um, a human isn't born fully, you know, fully adult. A human goes from infant to elementary, middle school, to these different life stages. And as it grows, it gets smarter, it gets taller, and it reaches its full potential. Um, I remember my dad telling me about a summer that he grew four inches in three months. And he was really sore, right? There's growing pains to, to growing quickly. And so as, as um, you grow, all kinds of things happen in your body. If you've ever seen a middle schooler, I served with the middle schoolers during the second gathering. Um, if you've ever seen a middle schooler, it, it, it's almost awkward the way they sprout up and they're uncoordinated and lanky and they're just trying to figure stuff out. Uh, but it doesn't mean that their bodies are unhealthy. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them because they're experiencing the tension of growth. So why would we look at the church and think because some things are disorganized that it's unhealthy or that there's something wrong with it because some things are still being put into place? Um, And this is how the church is. Um, Brave Church is full of people who are wired to be early adopters, people who see what could be 
before it is. People who feel called to this and are willing to buy in before it maybe meets all of their needs or has all of the things that they wish it had. Um, before, uh, just some examples. Um, for some of you maybe who have been coming for the last few years, you've seen some things change. We didn't used to have a family viewing room where parents whose children are crying or need their diaper changed or moms who need to nurse could actually just go back there and still hear the message and still be a part. That's amazing. Um, Before we had home churches, before we had a youth program, before we had life classes, before we had a full-time worship pastor, um, these are people who felt called and were willing to be leaders and help build this. And in every season, we grow. And we see God bringing more leaders and more people and more more of the missing pieces. Um, You can see this in our kids' ministry really well. Uh, We went from a volunteer starting our kids' ministry to someone who was paid a small stipend to provide leadership and get it going to someone who's on part-time staff. And then now we're in the process of hiring Brave Kids' first first full-time kids director. You guys want to cheer for that? If you have kids, you should be excited. Our first full-time kids director. And so here we look at this, right? And we see all these different stages. And the thing is, none of them were unhealthy. None of them were, there was nothing wrong with them as we went from these different phases. But it keeps getting better. And it keeps getting stronger. So in every season, we see this happening. Our middle school team is another great example. Um, We have some amazing middle school volunteers. Um, There's a a woman named Nora. She's She's with our middle schoolers right now. But I refer to her as our unofficial middle school coordinator. And maybe after this weekend, she was in the first service, maybe that'll be official. But she's doing a great job. Our whole middle school team is doing a great job. And one of our goals is by the fall to be able to have a middle school program to help our middle schoolers follow Jesus in our 9 AM and our 1030 gathering. And so great things are happening. But the second reason is found in the second part of verse 5, when it says what was left unfinished. And this gets to the heart of leadership, to the purpose behind it. Did you know that there is an unfinished work in our community, an unfinished work that Jesus is trusting us with? There is a mission that we've been given, and it's not complete, because God's building a family Okay, and, and it's his vision that everyone will be invited to join this family, but not just find salvation, but to grow, to find freedom, to find healing, and to be empowered to fulfill their purpose that will help others join his family and find this new life. But it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. But we've got to be aware of God's vision and God's purposes maybe so much bigger than the things that we're concerned with. He has an eternal view. He's seeing life in light of eternity, and he invites us to see things this way also. Um, for some of you, this is a journey that you're, that you're on. Maybe you're new, and you're not sure what you believe. You may have felt the presence of having significance in your life, and then it escaped you. You thought a significant life felt like this, or it was found in this thing, and then you realize, no, that, that wasn't significance at all, and you're still searching, and maybe that's brought you to the church. Maybe that's brought you here. Maybe you thought you could find significance in what you could store up in your bank account. Maybe you thought it was through finding a spouse, starting a family, building a home, uh, or, or benefiting the world in some way, leaving it a better place. But the problem with all of those things as a source of significance is that they fall short. Because only 
a cause that moves beyond this life and into eternity can give meaning that will last forever. It's the ultimate investment. This week, I was talking to a businessman in our church, and he was telling me about some stocks that he had done really well with in the stock market. And I was fascinated with stocks when I was younger. I just thought it was so cool that you could like buy little parts of a company and, and make money. And so I was like, man, this is awesome. But when I was younger, I actually made some really good decisions when it came to stocks. I bought um, like 15 shares of Apple when I was 17. And before you think I'm rich and have like all this money, uh, I sold them when I started college to buy a laptop. <laughs> so I gave them my money back, or I reinvested it. And I'm glad I did that, because you know, I learned about the Bible and all this good stuff. But I'm not bitter in any way. But this week, I was thinking, man, I want to get back into this. And you know, I, I don't really know what to do. I haven't been following a lot of companies. So I thought, well, I'm just going to pick a winner. I'm going to buy one share of Facebook. <laughs> it was like $150. So I was like, this is all I can do. But at least I'm off to a good start, OK? But what I realized is to make a significant amount of money on an investment, you have to wait a long time. And the more shares you buy, right, the more potential you have to make a lot of money if the company continues to perform. Think of your time on Earth as an investment. It's the only chance that we'll get this side of eternity to invest our lives, to buy in before heaven, to live by faith, Scripture actually says that we're storing up treasure in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, I love how the message translation puts it. It says, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you will want to be and end up being. The most important leadership decision you make with your life is not how you invest your time and money. It's what you invest them in. Will you invest them in good things, or will you invest them in the only thing that will matter forever, the cause of Christ, the salvation of souls, the unfinished work? Like I said earlier, the mission of God, it's expansive. It stretches the globe. It's everywhere. But our mission, Brave Church's mission, starts here. It starts right here in this community. Um, it's right here in this region. So how are we doing? How are we doing with this mission, with this unfinished work that we've been um, tasked with as the church? In the last two months, over 50 people have become members of our church family. That's pretty cool. We can welcome those people right now. In the last six months, over 20 people have, have been physically healed. Let's do that one, too. In the last six months, 16 people have been baptized. There we go. In the last six months, our Sunday gathering attendance has grown by over 150 people. It's crazy. In fact, it's, it's interesting. We're going through the summer. Um, our summer low attendance is higher than last year's regular weekend high. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Seven home churches met weekly, and more are starting this fall. We can cheer for that one, too. And one more thing. 172 people have decided to follow Jesus. 
But there are almost 100,000 people, maybe more, living right here in San Ramon, half a million in the Tri-Valley, will we do the unfinished work. See, we're not, we're not in competition with any other church in this valley. In fact, when you think of how many people live here, we need more churches. All of these people will not fit in this church or even the existing amount of churches that we have. We need more churches. But what I ask you, if you're a part of Brave Church, is are you willing to do the unfinished work? Are you willing to get in the game? Are you willing to be a part of what Jesus is calling you to? So number two, let's continue. Who are they leading? Verse 7 says, an overseer manages God's household. Leaders lead the house of God. So what is the house of God? Maybe you've heard this term. Um, People used to refer to churches to this, like in the 90s. Um, But house of God was a common phrase used in the ancient Near Eastern world for a structure that accommodated deities and their servants. But in the New New Testament, no longer was the personal name of God used in reference to the temple because it had become so sacred to the Jews that it was against their law to even use this name. So the phrase house of God only referred to one temple, and it was in Jerusalem. But after Christ's ascension, the early church started calling themselves the house of God because God no longer dwelt in buildings made by humans, but in the lives of those who follow Jesus. So what is the household of God? The house of God is all people who confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Everyone who follows Jesus is the house of God, is connected to it. So the church isn't a building. It's not a service. It's not a home group. It's none of these things. The church is every person everywhere on this planet that is following Jesus, that has made Jesus the Lord of their life. I think that... um, Church leadership and the the idea of leadership and what it is in the church, the importance of it, has gotten a little confusing. Okay, all of it connects back to this unfinished work. It's all for this purpose. But what does it look like in the church? Why do we have leaders? Okay, leadership is the key word. Um, Some of us are good at certain things, right? Like some leaders are also good at counseling people. Some leaders are also good at teaching people. But leadership in and of itself is its own Thing. It, is, it is something we can define, okay? Um, you might be a, a great leader and a great counselor, but leadership isn't counseling. You might be a great teacher. Some people get into church leadership because they love to study the Bible. They love the academic path um, when it comes to teaching. But when we focus completely on theology and not the mission of the church, we lose our way, okay? It's not just about getting filled with knowledge. We gather here to learn, but we also have to go and do or we're going to lose our way, and our souls won't be satisfied. So what is leadership? I think one thing, um, just to know, even with the leadership of our church, and there's so much more we could talk about, and a lot of that gets addressed in in the growth track, but we have leaders, we have elders, we have people um, that that, that devote a lot of time to the decisions that are made that really take that as a great responsibility. Uh, But at the essence of what it is, so my dad, for example, he's been in ministry for 37 years. That's a long time, okay? I've I've been in some capacity for about 13, so together that's like 50 years if you combine those years of experience, and I still have so much to learn from him. But a leadership journey isn't a walk in the park. There's ups and downs. There's highs and lows. There's so much that you go through behind the scenes that that you wouldn't even be aware of. But in over 40 years of combined leadership experience, 
or 50 years. I'm not a math guy. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know how many stocks to buy. Or... <laughs> the role of church leadership. We couldn't agree more on what the role of church leadership is. The role of church leadership is to build communities that follow Jesus. Okay? Leaders do not fear the future. They create it. Leaders create a world that reflects their inner world. Leaders live in the future that they invite us to build. Leaders do not put up with culture. They create it. Leaders bring healing when they find healing. Leaders become great teachers when they become great learners. Leaders speak to those who have no voice. Leaders use their power to protect the powerless. Leaders stand for those who have no place to stand. And leaders make outsiders insiders. And we do this because we believe that God has the best vision for the future. Leaders lead the people of God into the future of God. And it's very important for us to understand this, because this isn't a message about how to be a better leader or to tell us we should all be leaders. It's a message to help people understand that the structure of the church is important, because it's important to God. It's his model for redeeming the world. And it impacts all of us. So if you're sitting there and this is resonating with you because you're like, I, I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader in the church. Um, leadership is a passion of mine. That's great. We want to partner with you. We want to help you grow as a leader. We want to see what God could do through you. But also, if you're sitting there and you're going, I'm not really interested in leadership. Like, I, I, I'm more of a follower. And I think leadership is great. I hear what you're saying. But I don't really know if it's for me. Um, no one's off the hook. Okay, this next question is for everybody, whether you see yourself as a leader or a follower. Number three, who is leading you? How many of you can identify someone in the church that's leading you directly? Coming and listening to a Sunday talk doesn't count. That's, that's not the same thing. Um, is there someone that you're following on a weekly basis that's helping you fulfill God's mission? I say weekly because I feel like if it's not at least weekly, it's not happening. Um, how many of you, you know, you had friends at school, right? And you had friends outside of school. But the friends at school that never became friends outside of school, were you really friends? Okay, so when it comes to leadership and following someone and learning from someone, it has to be often. That's, that's a part of it. Following a leader is an active thing. It's intentional. Uh, so if you think, you're, think following a leader really isn't that important, please hear me. Because I get it that not everyone has the gift of leadership, not everyone's going to develop into a great leader, but everyone's part matters. Everyone has a part to play. For the church to be all it can be, to bring order to chaos, to finish the unfinished work, we need leaders, and we need people who will follow. So let me tell you a quick story. When I was 17, I wanted to be a leader, and that's when I first felt called to ministry, and I was really pumped, and so I was at this youth camp. And I heard this speaker, he was, he was a great communicator and a great leader of a large youth ministry. And so I was like, man, I bet I could learn a lot from him. And so I decided to uh, come down, visit his youth group, and I said, hey, can I, uh, you know, will you mentor me? Can I be an intern? And he said, yeah, that'd be, you know, that'd be great. I mean, we don't have an internship, but we'll create one for you. And so I was 17, and I, mo I was moving out of the house. I graduated from high school a little bit early. My mom was fine. She was like redecorating my room as soon as I left. But my dad was tearing up. So I'm moving away. I'm doing this internship. And the first few weeks were great. 
But then it actually kind of went a little south. It got really intense. The leader that I was following, um, he was gossiping about all the other staff members. He had anger issues that he didn't really have a handle on and hadn't really worked through. And so he'd often take them out on me. In fact, there was, um, there was also a ministry that he wasn't over, the young adults group. And he wanted to be over it, but he wasn't. And so I was a young adult, so I wanted to go to the young adult group. So I'd be there. And, he, and every week, like while I'm there, I get a text from him wanting to meet while I'm in the, in the young adult service because he didn't want me there. And so he'd say he needed to meet with me or he needed to talk about something to pull me away from it. So it's just kind of a weird situation. But I was volunteering 40 hours a week, um, not complaining, really learning a lot. But then there was this, this um, issue with this guy. And so one day after like an hour on the phone with him and he was just chewing me out angry over nothing. It was just, it didn't really make sense. I was like, man, I've had enough. So what I do, I call my dad. And my dad's bigger than him. So no, but um, I call my dad and I'm like, dad, what do do you think I should do? This is just such an awkward situation because this guy is really mean and he doesn't seem to be a good leader at all. And I thought he was because he was a great speaker. Okay. But here I am. And this is, this is what's happening. And my dad said, well, you need to meet with him and talk it out. You need to tell him, you know, what you're seeing. You need to be willing to hold him accountable. Well, I'm 17, and this guy's 35. I was super intimidated. I wasn't looking forward to it, but I did. I met up with him, and it didn't go well. (laughs) So then I'm like, hey, Dad, what do I do now? And he's like, well, you need to talk to the senior pastor, because these were some, some of the things were kind of serious. He's like, you need to try to meet with all three of them and see if you can you know, resolve things that way. So I set up this meeting, and I'm pretty sure he didn't show up. Something you know, like that happened, and it never really got resolved. And so I was like really torn. Like, do I stick this out? And so I started praying about it. And I was like, God, do you want me um, to stay here, learn, learn from a bad leader? Sometimes there's seasons where that happens. But really, I sought counsel, and it probably wouldn't have been the most constructive year of my life. And so I felt like God was telling me to move on. So I did. I moved on. And by the way, this guy has gotten some help since then. He's doing a lot better. And I'm really glad about that. But I say this because at Brave, we won't get everything right. And our leaders won't get everything right. And I'm sure that we'll have leaders that need to find some healing first so that they don't hurt others. Like, it sounds cliche, but it's true. Hurt people hurt people. And so we're committed to platforming and to giving um, leadership positions to people that are healthy. And that really matters to us. It would, it would be a shame to not get in the game because of some experiences in your past or some things you've seen. But I just want to share with you three lessons that I learned from that experience in closing. Um, just three lessons that I've learned. The first one was that taking initiative is a good thing. I pursued someone because I thought that they could lead me and invest in me. And that was a good thing to do. Okay, Uh, If someone's a great leader, they're probably not going to discover you. They're probably not going to find you. This isn't Hollywood. I don't even know if that happens anymore. But they're going to need to be pursued because they probably have a lot going on. But great leaders, um, they're probably more than happy to invest in you if you pursue them. So taking initiative is good. The second thing is that having problems with leaders is okay. Leaders need us to hold them accountable, just like we need them to hold us accountable. No one's above reproach around here. Um, And often what I've noticed is that through having the conversation, more times than not, 
there's more perspective added that we were lacking. There's, there's clarification. So do your leaders a favor. And if you see something that doesn't line up or something maybe even offends you and you need to talk it through, there might be so much that you don't know. But if we're not willing to have the conversations, time just goes on and it grows. And the next thing you know, you're avoiding that person. You don't want to talk to that person. So do yourself and your leaders a favor and have the tough conversations. Do it in love, but talk it through. And then lastly, bounce back when it doesn't go as expected. Don't sideline yourself. Don't take a, don't, you take a break if you need to. Get healing. Uh, reflect. I needed to do that after my experience because I thought, man, did I just fail an internship? Is there something wrong with me? What's going on? Uh, but I took that time, and I, I realized that, no, there's just a lot to learn, and God wanted to teach me some things. And then you get back in it. Because remember, the way God's chosen to fulfill his purposes is through us. So it's going to take everybody. We need everybody in. When Jesus went to the cross and when he rose from the grave, when he ascended to heaven, he made some final words. And it's as if those final words were your move. He's like, I'm with you. I'm going to send my spirit to empower you. But you've got some things to do. So it's going to take all of us to make a big difference And everyone has an important part to play, but we can't let our our past hurts, our insecurities, our fears keep us from jumping in and making a difference. So if you'll join me, let's bow our heads and pray as we close. God, I just thank you so much for such an amazing church community that we get to be a part of and, and such an amazing place that we get to serve you and be a part of your mission in this valley. And so God, I pray that we would be always open Uh, to the things that you're leading us towards. But I also pray um, for those that maybe are called to be leaders, are called to step up, and there's some things that, some hurdles and some things that have been keeping them from getting involved. God, I pray that you would connect them with people that could help grow them, that could help um, teach them, and that could help um, shape them into what you've created them to be. And so, God, I just um, pray in closing that that we would be great leaders. And God, I pray for the health of our community and the, and the leadership. Um, I just pray that you would continue as our ultimate leader, Jesus. I pray that you would continue um, to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.